शिला गुरुदेव की जाए श्रीमन महाप्रभु की जाए श्री हरिनाम संकीर्तन की जाए श्री द्वादश की जाए घोर भक्त वृंद की जाए घोर प्रेमानंद हरिभो सो गुड मॉर्निंग टू ऑल ऑफ यू थैंक यू वेरी मच फॉर for coming my pleasure to to have you again here with us and uh, well we are continuing with our series of lectures on vaishnava etiquette hmm? rules and love in the life of a sadhaka hmm. so we are today in our sixth meeting we have quote unquote finished some ideas regarding the concept of guru seva in our previous lecture and today we will start speaking about sadhu sangha which is another way of continuing speaking about the same principle but from another particular uh, viewpoint so today will be the first lecture on sadhu sangha i think at least this will take two 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 meetings minimum so before starting as usual we will make some brief summary of what we were studying last uh, session on Thursday our third meeting concerning guru seva uh, we were sharing some further um, tips coming mainly from hari bhakti vilas and mainly of course presented in the context of gurukul of a student living with the guru hmm, in the ashram very connected to how these dynamics applied in those times where Sanatana Goswami wrote this text almost half a millennia ago so some changes in between as you may imagine but we try to go beyond the relative aspect of that and take the essence of those uh, recommendations given by Sila Sanatana Goswami uh, and well he was recommend different things for example being ready to render menial menial service to sri guru in whatever form it may take hmm? do not get attached to the form seva may take but actually it's very nice to to be always willing to go to the most basic simple forms of service and imbibe them with the deepest type of affection hmm? and intention towards sri guru also trying to identify and to uh, be acquainted with those things that are favorite if you will to your own, to your gurudev's taste in whatever form it may it means now not only necessary food but whatever and try to offer what he likes the most hmm? try to not eat before him again all this in the context of gurukul but also apply to the idea of whatever we are eating ideally we should have offered that first to sri guru at least in our prayers and mentally in the are in the altar or whatever try not to use his personal her personal uh, paraphernalia items some exception may be there with some remnants from the guru's clothes as if the guru is still alive if not they become more worshipable if you will not so much for for us to use as remnants we also emphasize three important um, elements that also are connected to sri guru that especially krishna das kaviraj stresses them in chaitanya charitamrita with the mahaprasad the remnants of his food her food the the dust from his lotus feet and the water that has washed those feet 
So these three items are considered as very powerful, again, when taking with faith, when taking with surrender and affection, not merely by some external limitation. Uh, another forms of prashad we also mentioned was like his harikata, some form of remnant, some form of maha prashad that is coming through him. He's chewing with has this chewed, if you will, by the previous members, the purvacharyas, and, and finding new and newer tastes, which is different to how it seems the chewing of the material, so-called material pleasure. Also, we spoke a little bit about the principles of Bapu and Bani. Bapu serving Guru, uh, his body in a physical way, but Bani serving his instruction, his uh, inner, if you will, will, whatever he has instructed to through his precepts, and how to conceive those in terms also of, of substantial uh, approach and external one. There could be a Bapu to the Bani, if you will, or a more substantial understanding of the Guru's instructions. And mostly we finished our meeting, last meeting, speaking about another forms of Prashad, another forms of mercy that may express, play themselves out in the context of Guru Seva. Uh, in the context of Guru sometimes may... Uh, praise the disciple or sometimes may chastise the disciple all that in the context of mercy all that should be seen as different varieties of mercy and we made some special emphasis when the guru is chastising the disciple and again we have to properly understand the term to chastise and not just extend our mundane experience in connection to that term but understand what do we refer here in the context of confidence affection like we may receive some correction, some advice, some remark from some senior elder personality who really develops us in our lives. So this type of uh, so-called chastisement we are mentioning, a form, of, a special form of mercy. We shared this nice story of the poet who was quite full of himself and fooling himself, <laughs> and his father chastising him not because he did not love him, but actually because he loved him. He didn't want him to be spoiled because of Pratista, and the poet wanted to kill his father at one point because Pratista was poisoning him that much. But eventually, when he heard the real reason of this, he fell at the feet of his parents and really was able to appreciate this is the highest form of affection, this is the highest form of mercy. So sometimes Guru will show that special type of confidence, of trust. We share also the story of Advaita Charya with. Sriman Mahaprabhu and how Advaita did not tolerate being so much respected by Mahaprabhu and he wanted to be treated as a junior, not as an elder. And he devised a whole plan and started to preach some apasidanti in order to receive the chastisement of Mahaprabhu, his special mercy. And he did it actually with this showing to all of us how desirable is that type of connection with the higher realm. When the higher realm is considering us their, its property and will treat us accordingly. So chastisement has to do with that, ideally, ideally speaking. Of course, this is not to be misapprehended and abused because everything can be abused and taken out of context and create a whole deviation from that. We are trying to maintain that in a particular context. As we say, a text out of context becomes a pretext. So we should be very careful with that. And of course, all the things that we have been speaking these last three lectures regarding Sri Guru, Guru Seva, somehow or other are applicable in one degree or another are, are, are uh, to the sadhu, 
to the principle of the sadhu, which is not only limited to Sri Guru. In the beginning of our practice, Bhagavatam is saying, even if you are a, a neophyte, beginner's practitioner, you may be able to conceive uh, the presence of the Divine only in, in, in one direction, if you will, in a monochromatic way. Krishna, only Krishna and me, or my Guru and me, but you may not yet be able to appreciate the, the whole constellation of sadhus and paramparas. So this vision needs to be extended. Of course, we have to begin somewhere, and that somewhere may be Guru, <laughs> but from there we have to extend the idea of Guru, the principle of Guru, and see its universality as well. So gradually, this will happen in connection to the sadhus. And all these points that we have been sharing, these last three classes are somehow applicable in our connection relationship with the sadhus. So that's why today, next class, and who knows for how long more, we will be speaking about sadhu sangha. Sadhu sangha. Which is again, another way of saying Guru Seva. Of course, if we say Guru Seva, it means sadhu sangha at the same time. So let's define a little bit the terms and let's try to share some ideas regarding that. Of course, the importance of the sadhu, some brief words about the tatwa, if you will, the ontology of the sadhu, before entering about how, why should we behave as we should with the sadhu. That's, that's a little bit the dynamic we are having these lectures. Before speaking about how to express Vaishnava etiquette relation to the guru, we share some guru tatwa. Before expressing how to behave accordingly, what's the property current relation to Nam? Eventually, we will speak a little bit about Nam Tatwa and so on. No, because we need to, Tatwa is there, the Samband is there to help us appreciate the depth, the generosity of that particular department. And that will naturally foster a, 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 a commonsensical, if you will, a very spontaneous way of trying to approach that in the best possible way. So Sadhu Sangha, as you may also already know, hmm, what Sangha, a type of Sangha, as we always say, Sangha means sometimes it's translated as association. So it means not only some casual company that I just speak with someone at one point and my life goes on without much change, but it speaks about certain type of links or connection, relationships, where my whole identity becomes affected for better or for worse, depending on which Sangha. So we will speak about Satsangha or Sadhu Sangha and Asatsangha. If the word Sangha is there, Sangha means it's, there is a level of intimacy that is affecting your own sense of identity. So you should be very careful about which type of Sangha you are having. But the whole idea of Vaishnava etiquette, as we spoke in the first very first classes, to uh, incorporate certain um, ways of dealing, if you will, with people and with sacred paraphernalia, sacred objects, that, that may create certain samskars, certain impressions that gradually will become habits and eventually will create a whole sense of self, a whole personality. And so Vaishnava etiquette is a lifestyle, as we already mentioned. So, uh, again, a lifestyle will alter, affect... Hmm? our sense of personality, our identity. And that's the whole idea of Vaishnava etiquette, and that's the whole idea of bhakti, hmm? to, to, to really become all that we can be in the context of devotion. So sadhu sangha, hmm? sadhu of course refers to the saintly person, sometimes translated as saintly, although I would prefer to use the term as Sanatana Goswami 
defines this ad in Hari Bhaktivila as honest person. Because sometimes with saintly we may have our own idea of what it means to be a saintly, per- saintly personality and we may over-conceive <laughs> the idea and, and, and not necessarily a, a sadhu is only a Param, Paramahamsa Mahabhagavat Uttamadikari or something. No? I mean, you can be a you can be a Kanishta Bhakta and still be a, a, a level of sadhu. There's a level of sadhuness there. So sadhu is more connected with this idea sat. Sad, sadhu. So sad means real, true, honest. It has to do with someone who is who has integrity in his her ideal. No matter where are you standing today, let's say like that. You are sincere, you are transparent, you are honest. So sadhu. And sangha means again association, intimate connection. But interestingly also this word uh, in the Gita and also the Bhagavatam and, and, and all along Vedic literature is also means does also mean attachment. Krishna speaks about Sangha's attachment. The Bhagavatam also says the same, Prasanga, Majaram, Pasham, and so on. Many verses that say, Moksha, Dwaram, Apabritam. Attachment is the, is the door to all entanglement, is the word, but when you direct that attachment to the status, that opens the doors of redemption. Moksha, Dwaram, Apabritam. So, Sadhu Sangha also implies this. It's not only association with, with, honest, with honesty, Honesty personified, but attachment to that. That implies association. I develop certain attachments, and those attachments alter my sense of personality, as we said before. In Sangha, in a particular Sangha, your sense of identity changes. Why? Because your attachments make your own identity, as my Guru Maharaj will say in his commentary to fifth verse of the Sikshastakam. Our material sense of identity is made up of attachments. I, my sense of I depends on my sense of my. So in the same way, when you develop a sakti or spiritual attachment, a corresponding spiritual identity starts to arise. So this is principle with the idea of sangha. Sangha means attachment and a corresponding identity in connection to that attachment. So sadhu sangha means in the context of that particular association with honest, transparent, saintly people, a corresponding honest, transparent, saintly identity will eventually emerge as a result of getting attached in that, developing attachments in that context. And of course, the same can happen in other directions. But we are concerned with developing uh, our sadhu potential, if you will, hmm? sadhvi. Hmm? So the sadhus are, as you may know, very dear to Hari. They represent his Kripa Shakti, his mercy department. He, they represent the, the most uh, generous extension and transparent, again, a transparent medium for God's uh, will coming to us in our lives. For example, I, I really like one verse from Padma Purana, which where Hari himself, Krishna speaking to Arjuna there, is 6281, and he's saying, He says, The whole world... It's a very romantic glory, praise of the Vaishnava by Krishna himself. He says, Samsaru Vaishnava Adino. The whole world, Samsar, Vaishnava Adino, is under the care of the Vaishnavas, to begin with. The whole planetary multiverse is only sustained, not by gravity or any other law, but by the presence of saintly people and their prayers and their achar. That's what really keeps everything alive, ultimately, according to Krishna. 
Deva Vaishnava Palita. All the devas are doing palana, are, su are supplying heat, light, air, water, etc. due to the support and nourishment of the Vaishnavas. The devas are supporting and giving support and nourishment, but actually they are receiving that from the Vaishnavas. Then he, Krishna himself says, Ahamcha Vaishnavadinas. Actually, I, I myself am also Cha Vaishnavadinas. I myself I dependent on the Vaishnavas. I'm nourished by them. Aham Bhakta Paradino. Many verses like this, Krishna says. And he concludes saying, Tasmat, therefore, Shrestas Cha Vaishnavaha. The topmost position, the highest position of all, Shrestas, is to be a Vaishnava. So that's a very high uh, aspiration, and we have received that gift. But of course, we should cheaply consider ourselves Vaishnavas. Of course, there is a degree of Vaishnavism in us by the grace of the Vaishnavas that we should be ready to acknowledge that in the context of the mercy they have given us and is allowing us to be Vaishnavas. But also, we should bear in mind what a big ideal this is, Vaishnav. So this service to the Vaishnavas, Bhakta Seva, we may call it another way of, of, of speaking in terms of Sadhu Sangha, this is considered, as we also spoke, more important than the direct service to Krishna. Even in our eternal prospect, if we will be serving Hari, Bhagavan, Mahaprabhu, Nityanabha, Krishna, Golok, and so on, we won't be serving just them right directly without any intermediary agents. They will be through the agency of the Vaishnavas. Chaitanya Charitamrita says, Krishna Bhakti Jan Mamul Sadhu Sangha, Krishna Prem Jan Punar Krishna Bhakti, Sadhu Sangha is the root cause for the birth of Krishna Bhakti. So, to begin with, and Bhakti is not inherent, come from Sadhu Sangha. And when you arrive to Krishna Prem, Jan Metenho, when Krishna Prem get manif manifest, descends from the hearts of the Nitya Seeds, Punar Mukhyanga, still Sadhu Sangha, when you are achieve Prem, Sadhu Sangha still is the most important Anga of your practice, of your life, eternal life. So Sadhu Sangha is crucial not only in the beginning and not only in the end and of course in the middle, in the middle way as well. So we may be in the, in the middle. We are not in Krishna Prem and we are, have already gone through the beginning connection with the Sadhus and we receive Bhakti through them. So now we're in the in-between stage if, if we want to say it. So Sadhu Sangha is crucial for, at that point as well. Mm -hmm. And again, it's most cherished. Krishna himself is cherishing the service of the Vaishnavas. Again, Jiva Goswami will say, some people will conceive Krishna Bhakti as the Angi and Guru Bhakti or Vaishnava Seva as the Anga, but some others will conceive Vaishnava Seva as the Angi and Krishna Bhakti as an aspect of the service to the Vaishnava. And Krishna is much more pleased with that. As we mentioned the other day in our lecture on, on the prayers of Brita Sur, um, um, what I was going to tell. well, basically, I was mentioning quoting Siddhar Maharaj when he mentions ours is the fifth position. First, there is Krishna, there is Krishna Das, the, the, the Nitya Siddhas who serve him, there is Krishna Das Anudas, the Sadhana Siddhas, those who are not Nitya Siddhas but attain a position of eternal perfection, there is the Dasa Das Anudas, the fourth position, the ones who are not even Sadhana Siddhas but are. Sadakas, more advanced sadakas, and then we come, we come there, in the fifth position, serving. 
those advanced Vaishnavs, and in this way all this seva is transferred hmm, and to the converging point of the Leela and Krishna and so on. So we should feel very honored to, to occupy that fifth position or sixth position, if you will, if you want to go even lower. <laughs> it's Vaishnavism is in, indirect, so it's no problem. Everything is reaching in the most secure way. So this Sadhu Sangha should be something that we feel very much, uh, again, attached to. It's designed for becoming attached to it. So we should become attached to Sadhu Sangha. That's our life. And so in that context, everything will come to us. Everything we need will express itself in the context of Sadhu Sangha. Hmm? <clears throat> Sanatana Goswami, for example, in his Brihad Bhagavatamrita, hmm? Uh, paraphrasing Judisir Maharaj, he mentions there like, I long for association with devotees more than what I long to remain alive, basically. He says that. That's another way of saying, that's my life. Without that, I prefer to not live, because what's real life without Sadhu Sangha? What's real life without Bhakti? Hmm? The Bahuti saying the same, the Bhagavatam. Nehajat karma dharma ya nabiragaya kalpatina tirta pada sevaya jivana pimrita hisaha. He says that activity which is not dharmic and that dharma which is not taken to detachment, but that detachment which is not taken to bhakti, a person who is engaging in all that but do not reach the converging point of bhakti, sadhu sangha, is dead even though he or she may be breathing. So, what's real life? No? So this Sanatana Goswami mentioning here. I wish for Sadhu Sangha more than I wish to remain alive. So that's real life, that's the point. Similarly, when when there was Sistagosi, questions and answers between Mahaprabhu and Rai Ramananda, famous Ramananda Sambhada, after Ramananda presents the highest possible theological converging point, Mahaprabhu starts to ask some other brief questions. So one of them, he says... To Ramananda, he asks, what's the highest type of joy? Ramananda will say, to be with the devotees. And what's the greatest calamity? Separation from the devotees. Mm. So all this he presents in the context of Sadhu Sangha. My greatest delight, Sadhu Sangha. My greatest calamity, lack of Sadhu Sangha. Mm. So we should try to, not again force ourselves into accepting these ideas, but really understanding why they are saying that? Because they are fully enlightened, fully awakened people who really see things as they are. And they share those statements as a legacy to us. So how we should try to incorporate this? So Sadhu Sangha means again, to, it's very connected to this idea of Vaishnava etiquette. Actually Sadhu Sangha, to really engage in Sadhu Sangha, which is a main limb of Bhakti, Uttam Bhakti, Sadhu Sangha in itself means to enter into the circle of proper conduct, of proper decorum, of Vaishnava etiquette. In one sense, Sadhachar is synonym with Sadhu Sangha. We cannot really separate the two. Because, again, Sadhachar represents the codes, if you will, that will give me access to this confidential uh, realm, domain, called Sadhu Sangha. There is a way of dealing there, of conducting ourselves, or relating with our practitioners. Sadhu Sangha is like a really, like a protection, circle of protection and so on. And of course, as, we, as I mentioned, we can say the same by speaking indirectly about 
what sadhu sangha is not. And sometimes it's called a satsanga, which means connection with that which is not real, which is not permanent, which is not honest, which lacks integrity. Bad association sometimes translated as such. And again, here I'm not speaking just speaking with someone on the street for five minutes, but a type of deep connection that starts to create some scars and affect my, my identity. And, and, and this is very important in connection to Vaishnava etiquette. I, I have to really um, pound this post. Bhaktivinoda once said this in this connection. He said, unless you renounce a satsanga, you cannot be properly situated in the platform of Vaishnava etiquette. So indirectly speaking, he's saying, if you want to enter into the circle of Vaishnava etiquette, you have to embrace Sadhu Sangha. But if you embrace a Satsangha, there is no way for you to really enter into that platform, to acquire a certain standing in the realm of Vaishnava etiquette. Mahaprabhu himself said that. He said, a Satsangha tyag e Vaishnava char. That's the same way put in other words by Mahaprabhu himself. He said, a Vaishnava char. The achar of the Vaishnava, the decorum, the, the behavior of the Vaishnava, mainly is characterized as satsanga tyag. Tyag means to renounce. So re- renunciation of bad association, that's one of the main aspects of Vaishnava behavior. Because again, I want to become a Vaishnava means I need to acquire certain samskar, certain influence. So I will avoid everything that will go in the opposite direction. So this is what a satsanga means. And again, a satsanga, of course, takes so many forms. Now, I, I, I may not have time to go into detail with that, but we should at least be aware. A satsanga is not necessarily uh, a person, if you will. It's not necessarily the atheistic uh, demons in the Kali Yuga. Sometimes we want to demonize everyone in this way. Not only the Maya bodies. And of course, these, these are considered as part of sadhu sangha, also a satsanga, sorry. Bhaktivinoda spoke about the Dharma Duajis. Those, those are especially dangerous, the ones who are waving the, fly, the, the, the flag of Dharma, of religion. But in the name of religion, they are do the, doing exactly the opposite. They are using the religion or Bhakti or, or Gaudiya Vaishnavism, an external appearance of that, just to do the opposite of that. So they seem to be devotees, but they may be the opposite. That can happen. So we should be aware of that. But also we, we can extend this idea to social media, for example. That can be really a satsanga. And we should be very careful of not over, not, not indulging in it at all. I mean, we can use social media, that's one thing. Indulging in a satsanga is another thing, through social media. So we should be very sad, very honest, very sincere about how much of my relationship with social media nowadays is nourishing my Sadhu Sangha, and how much is not doing that, and most probably is going nourishing a satsanga because I don't want to, 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 to be, I speak in terms of black and white, but at one point it can happen. I mean, if that's not nourishing my sense of Sadhu Sangha, which type of nourishing or, or malnourishment is there? So we should really be sincere and introspective about that and take care because, again, externally everything is okay, I'm going to the temple and with the devotees. But in my private world of social media, that's a very particular danger of social media. It's very private. Nobody knows what you are doing when you're taking your cell phone or opening your computer. Mostly nobody knows. Maybe the rest of the community will see you when you are doing things 
externally, and they may say, okay, this is wrong or not, but if you are with your cell phone, who knows? You may be hearing a lecture from your Guru Maharaj, or you may be doing exactly the opposite. So that requires a lot of uh, self-restraint, self-control. Mm-hmm. So we should take all these considerations, again, in a sustainable way, and to take care of our devotional project. So Sadhu Sangha is quite connected to Vaishnava etiquette. Actually, Vaishnava etiquette, what it wants to give us the fullness of Sadhu Sangha. That's the ultimate purpose of Vaishnava etiquette. It wants to gift us with the, 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 the fullness of Sadhu Sangha, we'll say. Mm-hmm. And when I say the fullness of Sadhu Sangha, I imply gradually we should grow in that direction. It's not that I have Sadhu Sangha. Um, of course, we may be having Sadhu Sangha, but we may be also having a Sadhu Sangha. Mm-hmm. Even in the name of Sadhu Sangha. That didn't happen. We get together with some people. No, it was they were, we were with the devotees. Yeah, but we, what you were doing? You were speaking Harikata, embracing Harinam, trying to increase your commitment with the ideal, or you were just speaking gossip. <laughs> that can happen in the name of Sadhu So Sadhu Sangha is not a social event. Sadhu Sangha is not entertainment, if you will. It's not distraction. On the contrary, it's trying to together help ourselves to focus in the proper direction. So, Vaishnava etiquette wants to give us full Sadhu Sangha. Nowadays we may have some Sadhu Sangha, but also some Asat Sangha. And according to the dimension of Asat Sangha, there won't be full Sadhu Sangha in our lives. And that's what Vaishnava etiquette wants to give us ultimately. Of course, we may not be able to just make a quantum leap in that direction, but at least we should be duly informed in that direction, that's that's the intention of Vaishnava etiquette. Give us the full, hmm, comprehensive expression of Sadhu Sangha. Hmm. And it's important also to have Sadhu Sangha, receive Sadhu Sangha, because as, as long as I do not receive Sadhu Sangha, I cannot be Sadhu Sangha for others. Hmm. I cannot uh, give good association to others as much as I'm not receiving that. So that's also an important point. It's not that I want Sadhu Sangha for me in a selfish way. Sadhu Sangha is not a selfish act, as we will see. It has to do with ourselves serving the sadhus who are giving us their association. And by the effect of such Sangha, I may be blessed and get closer to becoming a sadhu and give Sadhu Sangha to others and serve them in that context. So all this is in the context of Seva, not of taking not of consuming and exploiting, but of serving in one way or another. Hmm? So let me refer for a minute to a very nice book that I really like and I hope you do as well, which is the Upadashambhita of Srila Rupa Goswami. Hmm? This is a very simple book, if you will, simple, it's quite complex, very brief at the same time, but very compact and encapsulates many things that need to be properly Unpacked in time, there are only 11 verses, but everything is there, starting from controlling your senses to the ultimate point of serving Sri Radha Kund. In 11 verses, we have this type of journey. And this is a very interesting book in connection to Vaishnava etiquette, especially in the realm of Sadhu Sangha. Especially, I will uh, highlight the first four verses. Of course, I won't go into detail. We, we have had some study of this. Upadeshambhita, I think, last year. So you can find the, the, the audios there as well. But the first verses <coughs> is 
speak, especially the fourth, but the first three also gradually prepare the stage about how to relate with the different Vaishnav, verse 4, verse 5. Hmm? For example, in, in verse 2 and 3, hmm, Rupa Goswami emphasizes satsanga, the two of them. In the second verse, he's speaking about what not to do. Hmm? So he says, Satyahara prayasascha prayalpo nyamagraha jana sangas chalaulimcha. So jana sangha means you should avoid, it's another way of saying you should avoid a satsanga. Hmm? Or if you, in this case he's saying, if you engage in a satsanga, your bhakti will be affected. Because there is every risk of whatever, apparat and so on. Then in the third verse, when Rupa Goswami gives the do's, in the second verse he gives the don'ts, in the third verse he says, what? He's saying, Interestingly, He shares a sixfold advice about what to do. So the fifth one, even though he in the second one he say, you should, uh, if you engage in a satsanga, your bhakti will be negatively affected. Do not do that. And in the third verse he says, you should do this. What? Sangatyagat. You should abandon bad association. Sangatyagat. So he says the same thing in the, second, in the next verse. In order to again emphasize, pound the post. And then he says, Satobrite. Immediately after that. Reject bad association, satobrite, <clears throat> which means following the footsteps of the sadhus. <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> so this, in these two verses, he's laying the foundation. Do not embrace a satsanga, embrace sadhu sangha. And then in the fourth verse, he goes to explain in, in, in greater, further detail how to engage in Sadhu Sangha. This is a very nice verse. He says, Dadati prati grinati guyama kyati prichati bhumte bojayate chaiba shatvidam pritilakshanam. So there he describes, I will briefly mention that, six types of loving interactions between devotees. Pritilakshanam. No, symptoms of love, symptoms of affection that we should bear in mind when relating with devotees. So, dadati pratigrinati, to give gifts to the devotees and accept gifts. No, as, again, as a way of giving and receiving affection. It's a two-way street. It's a reciprocal dealing, sadhu sangha. So, dadati pratigrinati, so many gifts which can be, not only the symbolic one, the gift of the association of harikata and your affection, that's a gift, of course, in itself, but sometimes that takes a form, and you may give some gift to a devotee, whatever may be necessary, or whatever you may like to share, and also accept that. Sometimes it may, it may be more difficult to receive a gift than to give it. It requires humility, special humility also, to receive the gift, and to really receive it in the sense of, I need this, and I accept this gift, this mercy, this affection. Thank you very much. And then he says, Guyama Kyati Prichati, which has to do with Revealing our mind in confidence and then also hearing others' minds. Hmm? Opening ourselves to the sadhu. So we can, if we want to enter into the sadhu's heart, we should allow the sadhu to enter our heart. We should give the password of our heart. Hmm? My Guru Mahesh sometimes will say that this Guhyama Kyati, or again, sadhu sangha means honest sangha. Honesty means we should be honest with ourselves. We should reveal our minds. We should have nothing to hide. 
<clears throat> and my Guru Maharaj once, he, he said more than once, in one point, if you are living in a temple or in a community or somehow, every single day at the end of the day, we should all of us get together, sit in a, in a circle and, and, and share how we failed today and, and how we can improve. And to hear everyone's testimony about their struggle, their sincere struggle to empty our hearts and to be filled with the others' hearing, compassion, affection, uh, reciprocal dealings. So again... Maybe we, we may not be able to do that strictly on, this, on a daily basis, but that's an important point, like the Christian confession, if you will. Now, we should be able to empty ourselves. This in Greek is called kenosis, to empty yourself, so you can be filled, actually, with something else. So, guyam akyati prichati bhunkti bojayate chaiba, to give prasad and to receive prasad. We will speak more in detail about that in the, in the class dedicated for Prasad, in the form of sacred food stuff in this case. Of course, this refers to this. It's a way of, again, sharing affection, affectionate dealings, nourishing each other. In the Bhagavad Gita also, in Chatur Shloki of the Gita, Krishna shares a very beautiful definition of Sadhu Sangha, and the second of these four essential verses of the Gita, which is the ninth verse of the tenth chapter, he says, Matthita Madgata Prana Bodhayanta Parashvaram so he's basically saying there what is expected in Sadhu Sangha, what is Sadhu Sangha, what, what should we be doing in the context of Sadhu Sangha. I say, my devotees, their minds, their consciousness, their life is in me, fixed in me, pointed to me. That speaks about their ideal. Even though in, in practice they may be far from such a level, they want. They cherish that goal. And they get together in order to get closer to that goal. That's the very life, some substance of Sadhu Sangha. And then he goes on to elaborate on that. No? Bodhayanta Parashparam. They enlighten each other in their company. Katayanta Shamam Nityam. Speaking about me constantly, says Krishna. No? In Harikata. I mean, you take off Harikata... And there is no Sadhu Sangha left, basically. If you say, no, we were, there was Sadhu Sangha, but it was full of Prajalpa. There was no Harikata. We say, which, which Sadhu Sangha was that? Hmm? Interestingly, in the Bhagavatam, this same point is made. There it is said that by association with the, with the devotees, with the Mahats, you will, Vasudeva Kataruchi, you will increase your taste for. Basudev Kata for Harikata. That's the natural result of Sadhu Sangha, an increasing of taste in Harikata. And of course, that implies there has to be Harikata in Sadhu Sangha, so you increase your taste in Harikata. It's not that I went for in Sadhu Sangha, it was full of Prajalpa, and the end result was my taste in Harikata increased. It's, it's not happening. So we should connect all these items one with another. What's the implication of this and this text to this and so on? So, katayantas tamannityam tushanti charamanticha, says Krishna. In this, ways, in this way, sadhu sangha implies common interest, common goal, nourishing each other, enlightening each other, constant speaking about himself. In this way, they express their affection towards each other by nourishing their own hearts, their own processes, in a compassionate way, empathic way, mm, devotional way. Mm. So all this is implying the idea of Sadhu Sangha. 
That's expected from us. So after this fourth verse, Srila Rupa Goswami, the fifth verse, interestingly, describes how to deal with different types of people, of different types of devotees. That's an important point, because till now we spoke about Sadhu Sangha in a very, in a more general way, generic, abstract way, the sadhus, the devotees, but there are levels of devotees. And we should know, gradually become acquainted with that in order to serve them in the best possible way. That's my point. It's not that we are discriminating in a critical way, but we are becoming acquainted of the different levels of sadhus so I can reciprocate to each of them according in the best possible way so I can serve them in the best possible way. The Srimad Bhagavatam also mentions that the qualities of the Madhyam Bhakta is that he will know how to relate with different types of personalities. So all this has to do more with the Madhyam orientation, where you no longer think in terms God and me, Guru and me, and there's no nobody else, or all the devotees are the same, in the same position. No, when you become more advanced, more progressive, you will start to, to perceive the gray in between the black and white, the, the nuanced, the flavors that give actual flavor, further flavor to your practice. So there you will realize, for example, in relation to Bhagavan, I worship Bhagavan, I have friendship, I, 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 I render a special service to the senior devotees, I relate as a friend with my equals, affectionate friend, of course, and with the, my juniors, if you will, I will act in a compassionate way, well-wishing way with those personalities. And even in connection, sometimes it's say with the envious people, I will serve them by taking some cautious distance from them. I would like to be closer, but the envy is so, so unbecoming that the only possible way I can serve them is taking some distance. <laughs> I'm praying for them, of course, in that distance, and hopefully that uh, gap may be bridged eventually. So, it's very important how to deal with everyone, even with non-devotees. Of course, non-devotees not necessarily are envious people. We know that. Uh, but we should know how to deal with everything and everyone in the proper way. Hmm? This this has to do with, with Adhikar also. You know, establishing the capacity of every person. Adhikar means that. No? You can do till here. You can act till there. This is your present capacity. Hmm? So we should behave in a proper way. Hmm? And Vaishnava etiquette has a lot to do with that. Of course, in, in the figure of Mahaprabhu, we see, as I mentioned in the first class, an extreme example of this. Extreme example. In certain cases, for example, his, how he dealt with Ramachandra Puri. You may know about him. But Ramachandra Puri was... Um, what to do? Uh, he was uh, as a, a, a god-brother of his guru, basically. He was a god-brother of... Ishwara Puri, they were disciples of Madhavendra Puri, but Ramachandra Puri criticized everyone, as you may know. And so he criticized, if a sannyasi was not eating too much, he will criticize. Your renunciation is superficial. If a sannyasi was eating too much, you are eating too much. There was never a point where he will say something apart from criticism. But by Mahaprabhu, he tolerated all that, and he offered respect to Ramachandra Puri as an uncle, because he maintained the etiquette, he's a god-brother of my Gurudev. But the rest of the Vaishnavas were acting differently. And that's important to know. I mean, it's not that the other Vaishnavas followed Mahaprabhu. They understood what was going on and they appreciated Mahaprabhu's stand. But also they were, they were protecting him, if you will. 
and they were not happy with Ramachandra Puri's behavior. But Mahaprabhu tolerated to an extreme degree until Ramachandra Puri left of its own. Hmm? So, again, there are different ways of dealing with different Vaishnavas. With senior Vaishnavas, and I'm sure in some general idea here, there are, of, all, all, of course, also shades of superiority, of seniority. Of course, a senior Vaishnav won't feel himself or herself senior Vaishnav. That's an important point. It's not that you can, oh, I'm disciple of Srila Prabhupada, offer me this respect, I'm senior than you. I mean, seniority is something that will play itself out in a in irresistible way, not in a forced, imposed way. There is no seniority at all there. Seniority will come naturally when you are extremely humble, extremely dedicated, extremely sincere. That will uh, give you standing as a senior Vaishnava, even though you have may have started two days ago with the practice, most probably in previous lifetimes in that case. But we should... We should offer you know, a special type of service to senior Vaishnavas. Also, we should be very careful about uh, certain dealings that they may have between themselves, and we may witness them, and we may not be able to understand. That can happen from different levels. As you may know, once one disciple asked, uh, I think it was a Chutananda, Srila Prabhupada was speaking with Srila Siddhar Maharaj, that they were seeing one lecture from Srila Siddhar Maharaj, he was remembering that moment. And and he said, Yes, Achutananda asked to Prabhupada, what were you speaking with Silasir Maharaj? And Prabhupada said, If I were to tell you, you may you will faint. So who knows? You know, you one may feel they were speaking about very something very esoteric, or one may say they were having some differences. And for a disciple, new disciple, that may be too much to accommodate, and he may faint because of lack of accommodating capacity. That may also be a possibility. So this possibility, this latter possibility is there. Sometimes two sadhus, senior sadhus, may have some differences on a certain level, and that may express itself in a certain way. And it is recommended that if we are juniors and we are witnessing that, we should be extremely careful. Especially if one of those sadhus is our guru and we may feel inclined towards being biased towards him and seeing the other person as an offensive person, but not necessarily. Not necessarily. Once Srila Bhakti Pramod Puri Maharaj, he mentioned in that connection, he said, if you witness some some difference between higher Vaishnavs, it's in your interest not to see that as a mundane conflict, he says. But actually you should see that as a, some form of rehearsal for the dissemination and increasing of love, of the love of the two of them for Krishna, the increasing of harmony, if you will. Hmm? And, and he ended, he concluded saying, Purusila Puri Maharaj, when, when you understand that all the Vaishnavas are different members of the transcendental body of Krishna, you become uh, equipoised and firm in your spiritual pursuits. So that's an, a very nice way, of course, Anuttam Bhagavata is saying that with such a vision like Srila Purimara, so exemplary how he dealt with every single Vaishnav, such a humble way. But that's an important point. Whatever Vaishnav, but especially in this case, the higher Vaishnavs, if they are having some difference, some so-called problem, you should understand this is only something is going on for the increasing of their service disposition. So I should be very, very careful about which idea. I will have in that connection. But again, 
we should respect everyone, every devotee, even a senior, a, a junior one, we should be very loving with them, very careful with them. There's this very nice pastime also with Srilapuri Maharaj when he was once in his Gopinath Gaudiamat. He was already like 90 years or more. He lived for 102 years. So at one point he was there and he already was, again, almost 100 years, 90-something. He was the Acharya of the mission, speaking with some devotees. And suddenly one devotee enters and shouts, like they may do in Bengal and some other places, like Prasad, no? like Prasad is ready. Like throwing that shout to the air for everyone. So Srila Purimash was sitting on the floor, and when he heard that, Prasad, like instruction taper, he started trying to wake up from the floor and trying to go. And the devotees were looking at him and saying, what, what are you doing, Guru Maharaj? He said, Prasad, Prasad is ready. I said, yes, yes, but that was for the general public, for the devotees, not for you. You will, Someone will bring you Prasad for you here. But Srila Purimash was insisting. No, and trying to go. <laughs> so they were trying to... No, there was this loving struggle. They were keeping him there. And Srila Purimash said, when a Vaishnava gives an order, I must obey. But of course, he said that with full realization, full insight, no, in such a way that you really felt it. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the idea. That's the goal. And he was, again, a new Vaishnava. I mean, he may have been practicing for some years and Sila Purmash was already practicing for a century or so, but he was not considered I'm senior. He was a his consideration was he's a Vaishnav, he gave an instruction, and my duty is to follow the Vaishnav, no matter what form it takes. So that was a pretty charming moment as well. So that's a very nice way of even dealing with so called juniors. Now when you are really advanced, of course you won't see any juniors. You really will enter into the realm of everything is to be served by me. Nobody is to serve me in any single way. So that's the great expertise you develop in time. You become very expert in serving everyone and not being served by anyone. <laughs> in a natural way, again, not neurotic way. So let's share some brief words before finishing. Also, we spoke about dealing with Senior devotees, senior Vaishnava, dealing with junior Vaishnava, but also with equals. In one point, this is the most difficult one, even though it may seem it's not. For some, it may seem the easiest one, but it's not. Because in one sense, it's relatively easier to connect yourself to a higher Vaishnava and show yourself, behave in a certain way. There is some difference, some distance, no? master and servant, or with the junior you are the higher, the, the senior, the other is the junior, but with equals, you are equal. There's no special, I mean, of course, there's a special treatment, there's love, affection, but in one sense, there is a sense of equality, as our Guru Maharaj describes in context of Sakya Rasa, both parties feel the same to one another. There's no difference in bhav, if you will. Like the mother feels toward the child, the child will feel different to, to, towards the mother, and vice versa. But between friends, it's the same. And this sometimes can be quite challenging for the ego. The person is just treating me like a friend with full confidence. Of course, that's a special type of treatment we should appreciate. But I've seen sometimes in time devotees may get, like Srila Siddhar Maharaj will say, intoxicated with Bhaktsalya. Which means, especially if you become older and senior devotee and you have many junior devotees praising you, what to speak if you become a guru, sannyasi or whatever, all day long, this kijai, kijai, 
in the in the environment so you have to know how to deal with that and many people saying you are incredible you are the topmost and you may become blind and deaf with that if you will you can become intoxicated of batsalia he said like if a father has some little children and the children say you are the best father in the world there's nobody like you and he becomes addicted to hear that tribe of praise and no longer has an ear for his friends who may come and treat him in equal terms and may criticize him and may observe, see certain things. So that can happen also if you attain certain standing or even position and are surrounded by just babies who are glorifying you. I don't say that's the wrong thing if that has to happen, but be very careful of remaining open to your equals, to receiving that type of input and feedback because you may become intoxicated of Vatsalia and just wanted to be surrounded by people that will say you are the best, you are the best. <laughs> so the relation between, of course, spiritual brothers and equals in this context should be very affectionate. It is said that if, if between God siblings, God brothers, God sisters, they do not remind each other his beloved, their beloved Gurudev, they do not perceive their beloved Gurudev in each other when they see each other, that's an important point we should conclude that they are not obtaining great benefit from having accepted the Guru. That's a very important point. You accept the Guru, and how do you know? And there's a, one, a nice way of, of measuring how you are getting benefit of accepting a Guru. It means how much you are able to perceive your Guru Dev in his or her disciples. In, in your daily Sadhu Sangha, how much you can grasp and absorb the presence of your Guru in, this, in his or her servants. Hmm. So that's a very important point. In our Sadhu Sangha, three gurus should be present there because that's our common bond, if you will. We are bond together with our God siblings. We have this great personality in common and we should, our own practice, our own ideals, that should be like emanating from us and reminding each other about Srila Gurudev. Hmm. And we depend, we depend a lot of, of, on our brothers and sisters. I remember once Thomas Merton, he said that. He said, our success depends in great measure from the prayers of our brothers and sisters. So that's another very nice way of showing each other affection. And that's Vaishnava etiquette in the context of Sadhu Sangha. To pray for our God-brothers, God-sisters. My Guru Maharaj, generally when he gives, for example, initiation to someone, Harinam or Diksha, after giving the mantra, the name, and all the details, he will ask the Vaishnavs, the assembly of Vaishnav present, please for a minute, let's bless this new aspirant practitioner, so he may make further progress in his Nam Seva. So everyone becomes in silence and starts to pray for the welfare of that person. But again, this shouldn't be only at that precise moment and never, never, never more. We should continue doing that because we should feel... If I am able to maintain myself in my practice, that's because Sri Guru and Vaishnavas are praying for me. They are well wishing towards me. And that's creating an effect. It's not that I'm just maintaining my vows or standing my by own effort or whatever. So we should really be humble and humbled by that. Now, I'm being sustained, nourished by their prayers. So I, I also will try to reciprocate. And to pray in a in a in a where we we yeah well wishing way basically. 
So give me some for further minutes. I will extend a little bit, not too much today, but I would like to share some brief points before, before finishing. But again, regarding equals, we continue with this idea of the equals. I mean, sometimes brothers have quarrel between each other. That's part of the Sakya Rasa. I remember once my Guru Maharaj said that. He said, I practically have love-hate relationships with all of my God-brothers. <laughs> but love is at the bottom of that. That hate is quote-unquote hate. We love each other at the same time. Because we have so much deep things, so many deep things in common. And we have given our lives in that direction. But in the surface of that, I may think they made some nonsense, and I may say that, but they may think the same regarding me. And we are brothers. And sometimes brothers will quarrel. That's the point. No? Sometimes we may see brothers quarreling, but it doesn't mean they do not love each other. So we should be able to separate. We see some Vaishnavs having some conflict. It doesn't mean they do not love each other. So we should be very, again, very careful and pay proper respect to every Vaishnav, especially our equals, and especially if you have the chance of living with some other Vaishnavs, that will be a very nice, special challenge. And for most of us, that happens. Whether you are monastic and you live with others in the ashram, or whether you are married, and you have a family, and your family are Vaishnavs who are living with you. Do not forget that, please. There should be Sadhu Sangha. Once one devotee told me that. Say, oh Maharaj, I'm living here far away from the temple. I'm not having Sadhu Sangha so long. And I say, but you have a wife and three children. Do not forget, they are Vaishnavs. There should be Sadhu Sangha. You should be Sadhu Sangha for them. So the point is, in the context of this, it's easy also to glorify some the, 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 the principle of Vaishnavs from a distance, uh, but we it's relatively comfortable, not very challenging. We are not being demanded too much. So our Bhakta Seva also should express itself in our attitude with the devotees that are surrounding ourselves. Also, that's a good way of seeing how do you play yourself out in this context of Sadhu Sangha with the ones you are living with, with the ones you are relating to in a, in a nearby way. Hmm? Because when you are living with someone close, so much relativity appears and you start to see so many details of the person and you may become entangled in, in relativity and so-called defects and you have to go beyond that and really reach the depths of, of, of the heart of that person. And because it's easy to glorify a devotee that I'm seeing once a year for 15 minutes and say, oh Prabhu, you're incredible, oh you, Mataji, whatever, hmm? at the distance. Hmm? But when you really get closer and enter into the domain of relationships and all that it implies, there we will be put to test about how much do you want do we want to engage in Sadhu Sangha. Because again, in the spiritual world there will be a big community. There will be lots of relationships. It's not you and Krishna, you and Subal, you and Lalita Saki, you and your guru and Krishna. There is full range of relationships. So now we are to train ourselves in that. Now we are to learn how to properly deal with everyone. If we do not learn the lesson here, we won't be able to enter there. Hmm. So again, we shouldn't force ourselves in a superficial way to all that, but we should understand the importance of appreciating, again, every devotee. And, and not especially if you get closer to someone, not becoming distracted by some apparent fault they may have. No? Sila Rupa Goswami also speaks about that in the Upadashambrita. Even though the Ganges may seem to have certain dirt on the water and the surface and foam and this, 
still Ganga water, Ganga jal is totally purifying. So in the same way, a Vaishnav may appear externally to have some defect or maybe of a low birth, if you will, but you should not judge him or her by that. But you should learn to appreciate the power, the influence of bhakti in that person and how even if that person comes from a not-so-high background, if you will, you should not conclude about that person because of that material samskar, but about how bhakti is entering and the prospect of that. So let me close today's lecture sharing mm, one more story that I feel it's very charming and it's very beautiful and has been told by many Vaishnavs who were able to hear that, my Guru Maharaj included and some others. And this story is including uh, Srila Prabhupada mm, on one side and Srila Bhakti Pramod Puri Maharaj on the other. You, maybe you, you may know it, but it's quite connected to this idea. And this is a story that Srila Puri Maharaj himself has given. And again, who is Srila Puri Maharaj? No, he's like the exemplar personification of the third verse of Sikshastakam, humility and service to the Vaishnavas. And he himself, on many occasions, he gave these instructions. All of, we, all of us are equal. We should not discriminate between the devotees. Of course, again, this is this type of discrimination I mentioned in the sense of serving in a better way. But all that on the foundation of everyone is Vaishnav. Unity hmm? and diversity on top of the foundation of that unity, of veneration of Vaishnavism. Hmm? Hmm. And especially, the point here is, it's very offensive, according to Shastra, to discriminate the devotee due to his birth, to his gender, or to all this relativity of physical deficiency, or some past action, or some moral lapse he or she may have during his devotional practice, and just consider and limiting the prospect of that person to that particular event, that's, to, that's considered by Shnab Aparada, basically. So this is not allowed, and Srila Purimash was someone who emphasized a lot that, especially in his last years, to, when we will see Western disciples came to him. But how this happened? So once upon a time, Srila hmm, Prabhupada, Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, he was in Mayapur, hmm, in his Chandradaya Mandir, on one occasion, and he, invite, he invited his god-brothers hmm, to visit him. Hmm. And Srila Bhakti Pramod Puri Maharaj was among them. So they had been associating nicely for a while, and eventually, Srila Prabhupada, after speaking and sharing Harikata and Harikirtan, he invited them for prasada. And he has his Western disciples uh, cooking and serving the prasada and so on. So Prabhupada was his, was his god-siblings. His Western disciples came, served the prasada and some water. So at that point, the Prabhupada, God's brother, was looking at the situation and these were very new uh, situation for them and seeing these new Western Vaishnavs and so on, they say maybe they have not, we should not take maybe this prasad. Mm. They are, they may not be so expert in, 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 they may not have proper cleaning habits. And again, they started to judge them according to their material background. So they did not took prasad. They did not even accept the water that was given. And eventually they are left. So, but Prabhupada was not there present. No, The disciples just weren't there with him. So eventually Prabhupada came to know about this. Hmm? So Prabhupada was very sad, really. Very disappointed. Hmm? So he, won he was wondering why. Why my God brothers didn't, didn't accept my disciples. Because that was his feeling. It's not that they didn't accept the Prashant. They didn't accept my disciples. <laughs> and he was thinking, they are Vaishnavs. 
actually. They are not my disciples, they are Vaishnavas. Why they did not appreciate that? The Vaishnavism in them. They may be young, they may be white elephants and a little bit wild and so on. But the grace of Bhakti Devi has entered their life. So that should be honored. So he was like kind of sad hmm? and, and thinking about that. They had in, they had come in contact with Mahaprabhu, Srinam, Sridham, hmm? Prasadam. So Prabhupada was disappointed. So this was like in 1973 approximately, some four years before Prabhupada passed away. So after this, some years passed, and, and eventually when Prabhupada was, uh, well, you know, his preaching became more and more successful, more people joining, more projects, more books, more everything. <laughs> and his godbrothers in time starting to witness that and realize there is something bona fide here. I mean, there is some, well, you know, Shakti Abes. There is some, so much transcendental Shakti flowing through Prabhupada. So at one point they understood hmm, this This is the divine grace of Prabhupada's guru, Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur, and, and the prediction that the, of Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta, he wanted to go to Western countries, all this was fulfilled, fulfilled through Swami Maharaj, as they will call him, Srila Prabhupada. So in time they started to realize this, and they changed internally their mood, at least a good number of them, most of them. So eventually in 1977, which was the last year when Prabhupada left this world on November 14th, some days before, some weeks before his leaving, Srila Bhakti Pramod Puri Maharaj visited Srila Prabhupada. In, in Krishna Bal, in Sri Sri Krishna Balar Mandir in Vrindavan. So at this point, Prabhupada was in bed, already ill, and this was a very memorable meeting that many devotees have shared. So there was there was a very sweet, deep, natural exchange between the two of them. And Prabhupada he received Srila Bhakti Pramod Puri Maharaj again, following this exemplary Vaishnava etiquette between good brothers, affectionate. And Prabhupada said to Srila Puri Maharaj something that he said to many of his good siblings, Maharaj, I want to be excused if I have made any, committed any offense against you, if I've made any negative remark of, regarding you or any of my good brothers, please I beg you, forgive me and convey this message to our good brothers that are not here present now. I, I, I don't want... Uh, to create any difficulty. I just say what I said in a certain context, please understand that. And Prilapuri Maharaj, of course, reciprocated in, in a similar Vaishnava way, say, no Maharaj, you have not made any offense, actually. Sometimes you had to protect your disciples by saying something, by speaking strongly, and that made perfectly sense for us. This was totally new, so it was proper, you took that stance, but you made no offense. Even Prabhupada, Puri Maharaj said like, you are like the great general of the army of Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta. So go ahead, you do as you are doing, everything is okay. And Prabhupada, of course, again, this is the humble struggle between two great souls. Prabhupada said, no, Maharaj, that's not true. That's not true. I know very well why, why I'm asking to be excused for, from you. I made an offense to some of my good brothers with my remarks about them. I spoke sometimes harshly about them. I feel very sorry about that. No, they were. he was practically crying in his dead bed. So you can imagine the, the emotional intensity of that scenario. Mm -hmm. So I, now all types of wars should be end. He said the same thing to his disciples, Prabhupada. No? The end is over, please. Mm -hmm. We should work together in, in group for the welfare of everybody. And in this way, Prabhupada was speaking. And again, Srila Purimaras insisted, 
No, Maharaj, Swami Maharaj, you have not done anything wrong. We are the ones, Sila Purimara say, who made the mistakes. We, we were not able to appreciate you, your disciples, fully in the past. So please forgive us. So this is the natural exchange between two great souls. No, you didn't make anything. I'm the one, not I'm the faulty one. And the other one will say the opposite. <laughs> and this natural loving is struggle. So in this way, the exchange went on. Hmm? Uh, not, and this was, of course, not only with Srilapuri Maharaj, when other God brothers came to see Prabhupada, Prabhupada said the same things to them. And, and Prabhupada wanted to know, us to know how much love and respect he had towards all, all other Vaishnavas. That's an important point that unfortunately not everyone grasped that. And many of his disciples still think all the Prabhupada God's brothers are offenders and demons and so on. And we should understand this properly because Vaishnava can be there. So going back to the meeting, in, in this exchange of Prabhupada and Silapuri Maharaj, all of a sudden at one point Srila Prabhupada inquired, says Silapuri Maharaj, can you offer me a gift? Dadati Pratikrinati. So Silapuri Maharaj said, yes, of course, Maharaj, whatever you want. So Prabhupada said, you were singing when, when our Prabhupada, Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta was living this world, you started singing Kirtan, but at one point, uh, your, your kirtan was interrupted and Srila Siddhar Maharaj at the explicit desire of Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta was singing Sirupa Manjari. Hmm? So you were not able to sing that for him. So could you please sing that song for me? Srila Prabhupada asked Srila Puri Maharaj. Can you sing Sirupa Manjari for me? So of course Srila Puri Maharaj agreed and started singing and he was famous as a very sweet kirtaniya. So he sang Sirupa Manjari but uh, he sang many other songs as well to Srila Prabhupada, who was, that was their last meeting, basically. So he sang for about an hour, a cappella. You can imagine the moment. Srila Prabhupada, in his deathbed, Srila Puri Maharaj absorbing Kirtan, and that was their, again, Dadati Pratigrinati, giving, receiving gift. So Srila Prabhupada was absorbing his deathbed here in the Kirtan of Srila Puri Maharaj, full of bliss. So after some time, the Kirtan ended, Prabhupada said, Maharaj, may I also offer you a gift now? Again, Dadati Pratigrinati, you gave me this gift. Can I give you some gift? Hmm? So Sila Purimara said, yes, whatever you may like to give me, I accept that. Hmm? Okay, okay. So they continue speaking. And at one point, Prabhupada bring, calls for a big plate of Mahaprasad and some water for Sila Purimara. Hmm? So he asked, please take this, honor this prasad of Sri Krishna Balaram. My disciple had prepared this. So Silapuri Maharaj very happily took the prasad, and some time had passed, and, and, and well, Puri Maharaj paid farewell and left the place. So then Silapuri Maharaj shared his afterthought to Mola Prakriti, who is a disciple, lady disciple of Prabhupada, who wrote a nice book about Prabhupada also before going to Western countries, and very nice book. Um, so Silapuri Maharaj spoke with Mola Prakriti in one interview a few weeks before. He's leaving this world. Srila Purimara left this world 22 years after Srila Prabhupada, in 1999. So he said, in this connection, he said to Mola Prakriti, I want to say something about Srila Swami Maharaj that you should know, and everyone who reads your book. And he says, I was thinking about the gift he gave me, because he told me that time, now this was like more than 20 years back, he said he wanted to give me a gift. He served me some prasadam. But this is a common thing to serve prasadam. And actually, as we say, Rupa Goswami says, to, to give gifts and receive gifts, and then says to give and receive prasadam, like putting in another category altogether. So, Puri Maharaj was thinking, 
actually to serve prasham is a common thing. You will not call it a special gift. That's the point. To invite someone for prasad. But all of a sudden, Srila hmm, Purimara said, it started to dawn on me what Swami Maharaj gave me. Hmm. And what gave me beyond the plate of prasadam, he gave me the gift to understand the power of bhakti in the form of prasadam. How this prasadam has to do with bhakti, how this bhakti was affecting his own disciples who were coming from a Western background. Now, everyone, even from the West, Srila Purimara said, from whatever condition they may come, they can get the full mercy of Mahaprabhu, they can undergo full transformation, they won't be considered, they should not be considered a second grade devotee, second grade Brahmins, or second grade sannyasis or imitations, because they had a Western background. So Srila Purimara concluded in this way, no? Srila Prabhupada gave me the gift of understanding the full power of the Holy Name, of Srinam. I have, Srila Purimara said, and, and you have to have so much humility to be able to recognize this, having 102 years old and being who he was. So he said, I have been chanting through all my life. And, and that's a fact. Srila Purimara said that. And he gave me, Prabhupada gave me such a, such a gift, hmm? such a sweet gift. From that time onwards, Purimara said, when I realized the gift of Prabhupada, I understood. And he was at this time, like, whatever, 80-something years. I understood that I should also dedicate my life and capacity and time serving the devotees from the Western countries. Hmm? It was from that moment onwards that Srila Purimara said that I changed my mentality toward Western devotees and gave all the help to them that I could give. Hmm? So that was the gift of Swami Maharaj to me, said Srila Purimara. Then, when he told me he was sorry, Purimara was thinking, I could understand why he has said that to me so many times. Hmm? Now, we are all equal, Baba. We are equal. Now, Srila Purimara will say this many times. We are equal, Baba. We should not make any distinction between devotees. So again, this is a very nice story that shows us uh, how to properly deal with God-brothers, how to properly deal with new devotees, with seniors. And again, if we make distinctions, it's because we have not made distinctions first, and we have determined that all Vaishnavas are worshipable to us. And then the other distinctions will come. That's a more important point. First of all, we should contemplate the absolute foundation. All Vaishnavas are worshipable. On the basis of that, there will be some distinctions in order of how to worship them in the best possible way. Only in that context. How to serve each of them in the best possible way. So, some ideas I want to share with you today and ending with this very nice story between Srila Prabhupada and Srila Puri Maharaj concerning Sadhu Sangha. And we have some few minutes, so if any of you may have any question or comment or something you may like to share, here I'm allowing uh, for you to activate and mute yourself and you may present your question or if you have something written you can also send that via chat however you may you may like um what's maharaj um i have a question yes eric tell me um so my question is regarding uh the topic of engaging in satsanga and disengaging from satsanga uh, so I guess my um, my question is regarding how to properly apply this principle, particularly uh, being that I guess historically sometimes people in various Gaudiya Vaishnava institutions have kind of taken this principle and applied it in a way where you know they just kind of cut off all of their friends and family who are not 
interested in Gaudiya Vaishnavism at all, or, you know, kind of maybe had an attitude of, like, you know, anyone who's not involved in Gaudiya Vaishnavism is a demon kind of thing, and, uh, you know, maybe in a sort of unhealthy or maybe some would say unnatural disengagement uh, sort of thing, and uh, I guess I was just wondering if you could elaborate on how to properly, <clears throat> maybe like help, helpfully apply this principle, and I mean, it's all, I guess it's just been something that's sort of confusing to me over the years of studying Gaudiya Vaishnavism and hearing phrases like uh, non-devotee is, uh, doesn't possess any good qualities, or maybe I'm misinterpreting that. I, hmm. uh, if you could yeah. clarify, I would really... Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course, unfortunately, and as with every tradition, I mean, Gaudiya Vaishnavism is not the exception to the rule. Uh, it happens everywhere, because in every practice is there are uh, beginners, immature practitioners, so we are not to be extremely surprised because of that. But yes, we, know to, we, we should know how to differentiate, discern between the acts of a neophyte and, and what it's actually being uh, stipulated, declared in the scripture. For example, that day one devotee wrote to me, quoting one verse from the Bhagavad, famous verse, Haruva Bhaktasya Mahakuta Guna, and so on, Jajasti Bhaktir Bhagavati Kincha, which says basically, all the good qualities are in the devotee, and a non-devotee has no good qualities at all. <laughs> so he was asking me, so how to, I mean, how to understand that? <clears throat> because two things can happen. We can become overconfident in our being a devotee and thinking, oh, I have all good qualities. The verse, is, the verse even says all the qualities of the devas. So I'm above all the devas, I'm already a devotee. And whoever is not a devotee, not good quality. And again, this, is a very, this could be a very black and white perspective. No? He's, she's a devotee, he's a non-devotee. So there is, I mean, it's not black and white. You can be a devotee and still be a non-devotee on certain section of yourself <laughs> and some person may be a non-devotee till now because bhakti has not touched that person but it's a person who may have a host of good qualities but those qualities won't be expressed in the context of bhakti that's a fact we should acknowledge that so in the explanation of this bhagavatam verse that says non-devotees had no good qualities expands, they had no devotional qualities at all because they have no devotion yet. But it's not saying they will never have, they are condemned for eternity, nothing like that. It's just bhakti didn't come to their lives, so all the qualities they are expressing is not in the context of bhakti. That's all. It's not for condemning those persons, but actually for you to feel compassionate towards them and try to extend bhakti to their lives. I mean, how that plays itself out, that's, that's an important point. So the same thing goes with this, with your question. We may say, Sadhu Sangha, Sat Sangha. Uh, again, this is not a black or white thing. It's like, okay, I, I, I met the devotees and my mother has not embraced Gaudiya Vaishnavism, so for sure she must be a Sat Sangha. And no, that's not a fact. <laughs> no, we shouldn't think like that. No, I mean, a Sat Sangha, not, I mean, if a person is pious, is a good person, is sadhvik, and it's not critical, it's not negative, it's not against what you are doing, but it's not also practicing that. It's not that it's a satsanga. I mean, if I'm having some, let's say, interreligious dialogue with a Christian mystic, 
I won't think, oh, he's a satsanga because he's not a Gaudiya Vaishnava. I mean, you can become extremely sectarian. You can say even, oh, he's a, he's not a Gaud, he's a Sri Vaishnava, but not a Gaudiya Vaishnava. So he's a satsanga also. He's not nourishing my my braja bhakti. So he's going against that. No, it's not like that. I mean, maybe if you are too immature to deal with those personalities and, and learn something from them. That's another thing, and you may take a distance from them because of your own lack of capacity, but not because they are a satsanga. Now, as I always say in the Brihad Bhagavatam, when Gopakumar is in his journey, he finds in the midst of his journey so many devotees from different lineages, if you will. And they are not a satsanga for him. He's learning from all of them. He's taking things and in such a way that that's nourishing his own faith. So we should not be neurotic. And again, if you have received some of those some scars in the past, well, you now are in the process of cleaning your chitta from those some scars and really understanding that's not what Krishna consciousness is about. If someone presented Krishna consciousness under such a disguise, that was their own misconception. But Krishna consciousness has nothing to do with mm, bigotry and sectarianism and fundamentalism. So... Now, of course, that said, a satsanga, as I mentioned, the word sangha means like very close and intimate association that will affect my identity. So some person may be sattvic and may have certain or religious or spiritual in another direction. And I may realize I will, I can appreciate them, learn from them. But also there is a point where I won't be able to associate fully in depth because we don't share that level of depth in connection to our ultimate goal. So in that sense, I won't expect to be nourished by them in that connection. And if I insist in that direction, I may get confused if I'm not too advanced. Again, it's not their fault. We are not speaking here about finding the enemy outside. And when I say a satsanga, we should first of all deal with all the satsanga that is going on in our own minds. Because we may easily point, a satsanga, be careful outside there, outside there, but... Our own mind out of control is a satsanga. All the anarthas that are still playing themselves out are satsanga. So, so maybe I didn't make, didn't was enough clear in that connection, but that's a fact. So we should be dealing in a compassionate way, and even if someone is not a devotee, and is not offering me satsanga in the ultimate sense of the term, we also see everyone in the context with, it, with their potential their prospect. So someone may not be a sadhu, but has the potential of being a sadhu. That's the whole uh, main impetus for preaching, for example. If I preach to someone, it's not because I want to convert you, or I want to whatever. I want to be famous because I made that devotee, but I will feel, oh, if I can extend the mercy of that came to my life to that soul, that person may become a Vaishnava and eventually give me his or her association, and I will be blessed by their Sangha. Now, that's the real humble approach to preaching. Mm? To purify myself, trying to extend the gift that touched my heart, but so that that person that is not now a sadhu, but has the potential, every jiva has the potential for bhakti, so eventually I may be blessed by that potential and be able to render better service to them, and so on. So I, I think we should be much more generous and broad and mature in that connection. And again, if someone is too immature to even be able to tolerate my words now, <laughs> that my person may, may need to be put in a cage for a while and not be able to deal too much with anyone because 
it's too much. That person may get too neurotic, so you need to put some fence around. But <clears throat> again, the purpose of the fence is that you grow healthily in the fence and eventually realize what's outside the fence and, and don't think in terms of enemies outside and so on. But basically, yeah, dealing with everyone in a proper way. But the conclusion is this. Again, Sadhu Sangha will mean that type of association when I'm sharing the deepest uh, ideals of my life. And, and we know we cannot do that with everyone. I mean, we cannot do that with everyone. Even though there may be sadhvik, good persons, but we may not be doing with them. It's not because they are demons or, or, or bad people, but just it's not possible, at least till now. Maybe in time that may be possible, but you cannot share everything about Gaudiya Vedanta with any single person in the world. Even though they may be sadhvik, religious, devotees. <laughs> so there is this healthy discernment, but always in the context of respect, compassion, and humility. So, I hope that helps. <clears throat> yes, it, it really does. Thank you very much. Okay, Maharaj. thank you. It made a lot of sense. Great. Any other question? Okay, so I will think I, we are already on time, so we will finish here and see you next uh, Thursday. We will continuing sharing some ideas connected to to Sadhu Sangha. So even if you have further questions or whatever you may like to share, we will continue speaking next Thursday. Sela Gurudev ki jai, Sriman Mahaprabhu ki jai, Sri Harinam Sankirtan ki jai. Shri Dwadasi ki jai, Sadhu Sangha ki jai, Gaur Bhaktavrinda ki jai, Gaur Primanan Haribo.